Once more, I welcome everyone to worship at Woodburn Baptist Church. Uh, God bless you in the overflow. We love you guys so much. Thank you for being here. Thank you for worshiping with us today. In Perry, Oklahoma, Pastor Brian Ahern, we love you, brother, and we're excited about everything that God is doing uh, at Church on the Square in Perry. Open your Bibles, everybody. Your mama says it's okay. Open your Bibles to the Song of Solomon. Your mama says it's okay. Song of Solomon, chapter 5. We're going to start with verse, verse 10. Song of Songs, Song of Solomon, chapter 5, verse 10. We're also going to be going this morning to the book of Ecclesiastes. And when we do that, that's just going to be a, a few pages back, a few pages back uh, toward the beginning of the Bible. So uh, we're right there in the center of the Old Testament. Song of Solomon, chapter 5. This is the final message in a sermon series entitled Staying in Love. We're talking about marriage. Uh, I've been a pastor for 16 years. I've been in church all my life. Um, I'll say one of the most wonderful parts of being a pastor is doing weddings. I absolutely love, love, love to do weddings. I love to be the one who says, I now declare that you're husband and wife. Who gets to do that? Uh, that that's just a thrill of my life. Uh, it, it's also one of the most painful things as a pastor to watch marriages fall apart. Uh, to watch marriages fail in our congregation, sometimes even in our families. It, it is so very painful and difficult to see that happen. That's why I feel like it's a very important responsibility as a pastor to, uh, to nurture and strengthen uh, godly character and godly marriages along the way. So uh, that's why I feel like this is always worth our time. Song of Solomon chapter 5 verse 10 is where we'll be. Uh, there were two Oklahoma boys, uh, one named Junior. Junior and his brother-in-law were fishing uh, by his brother-in-law's pond. Junior was there. Uh, there was not an inch of shade at the place. They were just sitting out by the pond. It was hot. The uh, pond was nearly dried up. But, but Junior was there. He had his line in the water. And as they were sitting there, this frog just hopped up and landed on Junior's tackle box. Frog, about, about this big, just, you know, frog. Came out of the pond and landed on the tackle box. And Junior's brother-in-law both looked at the frog. And, and then about that time, the frog looked at Junior and the frog said, okay, understand, it's a talking frog in Oklahoma. That kind of thing happens, a talking frog. And the frog said, if you kiss me, I will turn into a beautiful woman. Okay, Junior and his brother-in-law, Pond in Oklahoma, the frog says, if you kiss me, I will turn into a beautiful woman. Junior looked at that frog for a minute, and then he just picked it up and put it in his shirt pocket. Just put it in his shirt pocket. Brother-in-law looked over and said, Junior, ain't you going to kiss that frog, get yourself a beautiful lady? Junior said, no, I reckon I'd have more fun with a talking frog. Honestly, honestly, in our lives, we all look for sort of the same things. And this is just to be very practical and honest. In our lives, we really want somebody we can have fun with and somebody we can talk to. In life, if nothing else, we really want to find somebody we can have fun with and somebody we can talk to. Uh, in marriage, when these kinds of things disappear, uh, the, the marriage is in trouble. It, it's not complicated. We want to have fun. We want somebody to talk to. Um, Song of Solomon, though, turns the heat up just a little bit. This is fun. Song of Solomon, Song of Songs, chapter 5, verse 10. There's a Randy Travis song that says, uh, uh, you know, tell me how long I'll be faithful. You know that when the song is forever and forever and ever, amen. And there's a line that says, as long as old women sit and 
talk about old men. Yeah. If you ever wonder how women talk about men, guys, when we're not around, it's right here in Song of Solomon, chapter 5, verse 10. <laughs> that was not supposed to be funny at all. This is a passage where the women, verse 9, the, the girlfriends say, hey, tell us about your guy. Tell us all about your husband. Tell us about your guy. And then the woman starts talking about her guy. Now, seriously, men, if you're wondering how your wife talks about you when you're not around, this is how it sounds right here. Starting in verse 10, the woman is describing her guy. Now, just for fun, if we get to the line that describes your guy, ladies, just shout out amen. Okay? Just shout out. When we get to your part, if it sounds like your guy, just shout out amen. <laughs> here we go. Song of Solomon chapter 5, verse 10. This is, uh, this is the woman talking about her guy, and he's not even around to hear it. Verse 10. My lover is dark and dazzling. Go ahead, Casey. A amen. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <clears throat> my, my lover is dark and dazzling, better than 10,000 others. His head is finest gold. His wavy hair is black as a raven. All the women with bald husbands were really good right there, weren't they? <clears throat> His eyes sparkle like doves beside springs of water. They are set like jewels washed in milk. <laughs> His cheeks are like gardens of spices giving off fragrance. His lips are like lilies perfumed with myrrh. I love it. His arms are like rounded bars of gold set with beryl. His body is like bright ivory glowing with lapis lazuli. That's good stuff. His legs are like marble pillars set in sockets of finest gold. His posture is stately like the noble cedars of Lebanon. His mouth is sweetness itself. <laughs> he is desirable in every way. Such a woman of Jerusalem is my lover, my friend. <laughs> Isn't that good? That is so good. That is exactly how she's talking about me when I'm not around, isn't it? That is it right there. What's your favorite part? What's your favorite line? Guys, which of these lines would you want to have said about you? His lips are like lilies perfumed with myrrh. Yeah, I think it was yesterday. I just brushed my teeth and Casey said, have you brushed your teeth yet? Yeah. <laughs> apparently, apparently my, my, my breath was not perfumed with myrrh at that moment. Gosh, do you really think, is it possible? Is this how your woman talks about you? Is it? Oh, it's so good. It, it comes from a different culture. It's a different age. Your wife's probably not going to say that your legs are like marble pillars set in sockets of finest gold, but she's still feeling the same stuff. She, she's weak with love, like this says. She gets weak with love every time she looks out the window and sees you riding a mower and your love handle's jiggling. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's the same thing. It's the same thing. Your, your woman's weak with love, too. It, it, she just put it in different words. But if you look at these words, if you look at everything that this woman says about her husband, what's the best thing she says? If you could pull out a phrase or a word that is probably the most important thing a, a woman could ever say for, for, for her man. What words would you pull out? 
it's the last one. You notice this is a, a woman for whom words just nearly don't describe her love for her husband. Words just nearly fail. That's why she keeps piling them up. But honestly, the word that means the most is the last one. What is it? Friend. Friend. You might think it would be cool if your wife said that you were dark and dazzling, but honestly, I promise you, if she calls you friend, you're going to be better off. It's it's friend. It's friend. I've done a lot of funerals in my life, but I can tell you there are very few, but there have been a few where we bury a spouse. A a wife is burying her husband or the husband's burying his wife. And it doesn't happen very often, but sometimes it happens where that woman will look at me and say, Brother Tim, he was my best friend. You know, when you get to the end of your life, just honestly, you get to the end of your life and the person who shared her life is, is standing there, don't you want her to say something like that? I mean, honestly, baby, you can lay off the whole, his lips were sweetness itself. I would just rather have her say, he was my best friend. Of all the things she says, the most important thing is friend. And really, really honestly, in your marriage, the most important, the most important factor that's going to determine the quality of your relationship is not going to be uh, the, 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 the sexual excitement. It's not going to be how much money you make or the size of house you live in. The quality of your marriage has more than anything else to do with the quality of the friendship. The friendship between the husband and the wife. I had some friends who uh, got married. This was years ago. And, and, and back in the day, I don't know if y'all do this anymore. Back in the day uh, when you had your wedding cake, uh, the top layer, the top tier, always had the little bride and groom on it or whatever. Now I think it's always flowers. But back in the day, you'd have a bride and a groom on top. And, uh, and at the reception, you'd cut the cake, but then they'd come and they'd, they'd whisk off and they'd take the wedding topper and they'd put that in the box. And, and what did we used to do with it? Yeah, you freeze it. Why? To eat it on your first anniversary. Y'all still do that? Young people, did y'all do that? Did y'all do that? You, you froze it? Awesome. It's been in the freezer now for three weeks? Yeah, yeah, you might ought to eat it fast. That's just kind of kind of, kind of my, my advice. Because I had some friends who, who they put their cake in the freezer and they love that idea. On our first anniversary, we're going to eat the top of our wedding cake. And in that first year, my friends, they moved twice. But the most prized possession in, in both of those moves, the important thing was to make sure that they, that they took care of their wedding cake. They wanted to make sure it didn't thaw out, keep it frozen, take care of the cake. It was probably at that point in their lives the most prized possession because they were all about eating wedding cake, their wedding cake, on their first anniversary. So they did it. They preserved it. They froze it. They, they babied it. They cared for it. The night of their first anniversary, they made supper at home, romantic dinner, and after dinner, they went to the freezer. They took out the box. They pulled out the wedding top. It was still flawless. It was gorgeous. It was beautiful. White icing, flowers, pearls. It was gorgeous. They sat it down on the table, and, and, and my friend, the man, said, hey, why don't we both put our hands on the knife just like at our wedding, just like our reception? So they took the knife and they put their hands together. And they, it was just the two of them. They decided to slice that wedding top after one year of waiting. 
They put the knife in and they heard squeak, squeak. And they started cutting it, squeak, squeak, squeak. It was styrofoam. <laughs> it was styrofoam. Squeak, squeak. Yeah, I, I mean a whole year of baby of this. They kept it in the freezer. <laughs> styrofoam. Any of you eat your wedding cake at the year mark? Anybody eat it? Yeah. How was it, Margie? Yeah, Margie's kind. It's better the first day. Casey, we pulled ours out. It was real cake, I guess. It was like chewing on a Kleenex, wasn't it? Yeah, oh, it's, just, it's just not good. And there's a basic principle here for you. In your marriage, you can't eat last year's cake. You cannot eat last year's cake, which sort of rolls over to a rule for marriage that's related, and that would be this. You can't live on last year's love either you can't live on last year's love it's hard to explain I know in some ways it's terrifying to think about but a marriage goes stale a marriage can go stale you cannot live on last year's love maybe it used to be something but if it's not something now understand a marriage has a tendency to go stale a relationship will do that in the world we live in, there are people who will openly ask and sometimes even mock the institution of marriage. In our culture, it seems much more logical to a lot of people to sort of go through their lives moving through a series of relationships. In other words, marriage itself is not something permanent. It's sort of an agreement that you enter into for a season of your life until it gets stale and then you just move on to the next partner. You move on to the next marriage. And, and, and that's the Way a lot of people live and people will openly say how in the world could you spend your whole life with one person I'll be honest with you a marriage goes stale but if you're married you are intended to go through life with one person but it does not have to go stale it does not have to settle into some sort of lukewarm misery do you understand but you got to work on this thing. And here's what you really must understand. Just because you're husband and wife, you cannot assume that you're still friends. Just because you're husband and wife, you cannot assume that you're still friends. I, I would not ask you to show your hands, but we could, we could actually do a little bit of an illustration right here with you all. I could just simply ask those of you who are married, how many of you know that your spouse loves you? Don't raise your hands. But I would imagine that if I asked you, those of you married, how many of you know that your spouse loves you? Probably almost all of you would raise your hands. You know that he loves you. You know that she loves you. But if I switch the question, if I were to say, how many of you married people, how many of you know that your spouse likes you? Suddenly that's a different question, isn't it? You know she loves you, but honestly, you're no longer sure that she likes you. You figure he loves you, but you know good and well by the way he treats you that he must not like you. Do you see, this is what I'm saying. This is what goes wrong in a marriage. And it's actually much more simple than you think. It is not that people fall out of love. I have officiated over a lot of weddings, and unfortunately, I've officiated over several divorces. And I've never seen a divorce. I have never seen a divorce yet where the couple said they did not love each other. 
I've never seen a couple get divorced and they didn't say, yeah, I suppose I still love him, but I can't live with him. You understand? They never really fall out of love, but this is what I want you to understand. You fall out of friendship. You fall out of friendship. It's not that you stop loving each other. It's that you no longer seem to like one another. It's the friendship that dies. It's about friendship. So take your Bibles and turn back with me to Ecclesiastes, just a few pages back. Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Let's talk about the friendship inside the marriage. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9. I read this passage at a lot of weddings. It's just so good. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9. Again, it's about two pages back from where I was just reading. Chapter 4, verse 9. This is good. Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. I've fallen and I can't get up. You remember that? Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. I like that. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a cord of three strands is not easily broken. Have you read that passage before? I I love it. Now let me say right from the start, this is not a passage that is exclusively about marriage. It's about companionship. And the basic principle from this passage is that Two are better than one. In other words, everybody needs companionship. Everybody needs a partner of some kind. Now, in marriage, this certainly applies. You want to have that kind of partnership, that kind of companionship with the one that you've promised to share your life with. You need a friendship at the heart of that. But understand, if you're not married, this principle still applies. You were not created to, to, to be alone like that. You need friends in your life. Everybody needs somebody. That's what the passage is saying. Two are better than one for so many reasons. And, and he gives several examples. They're just illustrations of how it's just so good to, to have somebody with you. It's easier to stay warm in bed. You, you ever notice if you're married when your husband or your wife takes a trip and, and you're in that giant bed by yourself? I have to turn the electric blanket on. I, I freeze to death w- w- without her. This is what the passage is saying. It, two are better than one. Two are better than one f- for so many reasons. It's, it's the idea of companionship, friendship. It's what the scripture's talking about. Two are better than one. But I'm not naive. I know that I am looking right in the eyeballs of some married people who say, yeah, but Brother Tim, you don't understand how miserable it is to be alone in a marriage. You know what I'm saying? There are people inside marriage, and they are lonelier than ever. Some of you single folks who say, wow, married people really got it made. They've always got somebody. You don't understand. Sometimes there are married people inside a marriage, and they are very, very alone. It's not automatic, people. This kind of companionship and friendship doesn't happen automatically. One of the best books written on marriage in a long time came out lately. It's called Real Marriage by Mark Driscoll. And Mark Driscoll talks about three different kinds of marriage. There are three different shapes or forms that a marriage can take. And and see if you can see your own marriage in these descriptions. The first one, write this down. The first one Mark Driscoll identifies is a back-to-back marriage. 
back to back. Now, what's that picture of two people back to back? Is that a positive thing? Is that the way you want to see your marriage, back to back? No, no. A back to back marriage is, 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 is not good. It's not what you're after. A back to back marriage is, is two people who have become uh, possibly enemies. They're no longer pulling in the same direction. They're they're pulling apart. They no longer look at the world in the same way. It's a back-to-back marriage. It is the most miserable way to live your life imaginable. I'm with you. That idea of being trapped back-to-back with someone. They may be enemies. They might be strangers. They may live as roommates. But one way or the other, there is nothing here. It is back to back. This is a marriage in trouble. These are people in misery. And some of you know what that is to be caught in a back to back marriage. That's the first. The second kind of marriage that Mark Driscoll describes is what he calls shoulder to shoulder. Shoulder to shoulder. And now to be real honest, there are going to be seasons in your life, seasons in your marriage, when you and your spouse will be predominantly shoulder to shoulder. I'm not saying that there's anything necessarily wrong with that. There are entire seasons of life when when that is more or less how you live. Now it's hard to adjust to that. Probably the first time that you and your spouse go to a shoulder to shoulder kind of relationship is when you have kids. Because all of a sudden, it's not just you and her, you know, face to face, you know, living free as birds. Now, all of a sudden, you have this tremendous project together. It's called your kid. It's it's a project. You both have to put an incredible amount of focus and energy in raising your children. And so you sort of, your marriage shifts gears. It becomes more of a shoulder-to-shoulder relationship. And it's very, very difficult. It's very difficult because sometimes you look across the bed at each other and say, oh my goodness, who are you? Who are you? With the baby spit on your gown. And, and who, who are you? And what is that noise? Who, who is crying? And, and oh my goodness, it, it's me. It's me crying. I mean, it's, it's really, really difficult because all of a sudden the marriage becomes all about the work you have to do together. And so in those years when you're raising your children, in those years when you're, when you're building your house together, in those years when you're establishing your business together, it becomes very shoulder to shoulder. Now that's not necessarily bad, and I would say this, most men prefer shoulder to shoulder relationships. This is how men get along in the world. We really know how to do shoulder to shoulder well. If you want to get a lot of men together, you give them a job to do together. Men do shoulder to shoulder very, very well. But a marriage cannot ever be only shoulder to shoulder. you got to have face to face. So it's back to back. Shoulder to shoulder or face to face. Even in the shoulder to shoulder years, you've got to fight to continue to preserve that face to face aspect of your marriage. You've got to continue to look each other in the face and remind each other that, that yes, we have children, but you are the priority in my life. Yes, the the work is important and what we do at church matters, but you are the priority in my life. The Bible says for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and cling to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. You understand? You are one another's priority. It doesn't matter if you have 19 kids at the very center of your household has got to be a marriage where the man and the woman relate to each other face to face. Understand? 
Because if you don't give your kids a mama and daddy who love one another, you're not giving your kids much. Understand? you got to have a face-to-face marriage too. Face-to-face. Of course, the Ecclesiastes passage talks about two are better than one. Two are better than one. Two are better than one. Then in verse 12, it changes the arithmetic altogether. What does it say? Two are better than one. Two are better than one, but three's even better. Now, what's that about? Three's even better. Yeah. In your marriage, there is an invisible partner. And who is that invisible partner? It's the Lord. It is God. In your marriage, if your marriage is going to last and if your marriage is going to work, you've got to understand there's a third partner here. And that third partner is the Lord. The illustration that the passage gives is the idea of braiding hair. Have you ever ever braided hair? You braid hair. When you braid hair, you take three strands, right? And you go over and under and over and under. You have to wind three strands together. Have you ever tried to braid with two strands? What happens? They, they come undone. It takes the third strand. It takes three to hold it all together. And this is how your marriage is. If you take two people, it doesn't matter how attractive they are. It doesn't matter how smart they are. It doesn't matter how good they are in bed. It doesn't matter. If you have two people and you try to unite two people, those two people are probably going to untie from one another. They're not going to be able to hold it together. Two people can't do that. It takes a third strand, and the third one is the Lord. It is the Lord who must be in your marriage. It is the Lord who must be the foundation of your friendship. It is the Lord. So if God is in your marriage, if God is in your friendship, then what is God doing? He's holding it together, absolutely, but, but what is it? What is it that holds you together? Yes, it's the Holy Spirit, but what is God doing? Where, where does all of this lead? What's the marriage about? I've been saying it over and over and over. In your marriage, what God wants to create is holiness. Your marriage is about making you holy. In your marriage, God has a man and God has a woman, and his entire purpose is to make that man more like Christ and to make that woman more like Christ. The purpose of all of our lives is sanctification. Don't forget that. It's sanctification. What God is doing in your life and what God is doing in your marriage is the same thing. He's making you holy. He's making you more like Christ. So your marriage is an everyday opportunity to become more like Christ. If there's anything wrong in your marriage, I can tell you what the problem is. Somebody's not loving like Christ. You understand? It's always about sanctification. Your marriage is about holiness. The mistake that many of us make, however, is we want to make our marriage about happiness. We want it to be about happiness. I don't think I can stay with her anymore because she's not the one that makes me happy. You understand? Do you understand the terrible way that the person who says that doesn't really understand what their life is about? It's not about happiness. Your marriage is not about happiness. It's first about holiness. Now, if that sounds depressing to you, then you don't understand what I'm saying. You don't understand what the Christian life is about, and you don't understand what marriage is about. So let me say it very, very simply. 
in your marriage, go ahead and write this down. Write it down twice, once for yourself and once for him. All right? Write it down twice. In your marriage, if you seek happiness instead of holiness, you'll have neither. I'll give you some time to write that down. If you seek happiness instead of holiness, you'll have neither. If you run after happiness, you won't find happiness. I'm just telling you. Your marriage is not about seeking happiness together. It's about seeking holiness together. If you seek happiness instead of holiness, you'll have neither. But, you know where this goes? If you seek holiness before happiness, you'll have both. You get it? You seek holiness. You seek to be like Christ. You seek holiness before happiness. And you'll have both. Your marriage is a friendship. It's it's a partnership. And the aim for you is to seek holiness for both of you. You seek holiness for both of you, and then catch this, and then seek happiness for the other. Seek happiness for the other. In other words, in my relationship with my wife, 24 years of marriage, my aim is for both of us to become more like Christ. In the process of loving each other, we're learning to love like Christ. we got a ways to go, baby. We're learning to love like Christ. But then my secondary goal is not to make myself happy. I I live for her happiness. I want to seek happiness for her. You understand? It's holiness for both and happiness for the other. I I think that's that's the secret for a real marriage. One more passage. Make your husband look at this with you. Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Turn over one page for me. Ecclesiastes chapter 9 verse 7. I just want to tell you right now the truest thing I can possibly tell you, and it's from Scripture. And these are commandments, actually, so hang on to your wigs and keys. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 7. Go ahead, eat your food with joy, drink your wine with a happy heart, for God approves of this. Wear fine clothes with a splash of cologne. (laughs) Brute by Fabergé, guys. That's what it says right there. Here you go. Verse 9. Live happily with the woman you love through all the meaningless days of life that God has given you under the sun. The wife God gives you. Wife God gives you is your reward for all your earthly toil. Whatever you do, do well for when you go to the grave. There will be no work or planning or knowledge or wisdom. Let's just focus on verse 9 right there. It's a commandment. You understand this? It's a commandment. And the commandment is live happily with this woman. Live joyfully with this man. It's, It's a commandment. It's a commandment. To enjoy each other. You're supposed to be happy. And again, I've just said we seek holiness first, and we do. But holiness does not exclude happiness. Understand, you seek holiness, you find happiness. And you find it together. 
It's just the truest thing in the world. But you notice that this commandment, this exhortation to enjoy your life together, it's, it's at the same time coupled with this dark, dark reminder that you just don't have forever. You don't live forever. And honestly, life is really, really short. It's just really short. When you made your wedding vows to one another, the preacher had you stick at the end just the most horrible words that you ever had to speak. And you probably didn't stop and think about it because if you stop and think about it, it it will just wreck you. You promised to have and to hold, to, to love, honor, and cherish, sickness and health for better, for worse, till death, till death do you part. Congratulations. Till, till death do you part. Why do we keep throwing that in there? Why is it that when we talk about happiness in marriage and you make your promises, why is it that, that wisdom keeps throwing back in this idea that you really don't have forever together? That you've really only got a few days? I mean, from the day you say I do, you've really only got a few days. One person said that a marriage is actually only five days long. Okay, think about this with me. Five days long. On the first day you meet, on the second day you marry, on the third day you raise your children, on the fourth day you meet your grandkids, and on the fifth day one of you buries the other one and you go home by yourself. About five days. It's just not very long. It's just not very long. And there's just not nearly enough time to waste it not forgiving one another. There's just not nearly enough time to waste it by being so mean to each other. What is wrong with you? What is your problem? She's your friend. You married her because you could talk to her about anything and because you had so much fun together. Let me ask you a question, sir. When did you become so unfun? When in the world did you become so unfun? When did you become this man who comes home and sucks all of the joy out of the entire house? When did you become this guy? When did you become the guy who can bark out the orders, become the guy to make your wife feel so low and never use a word to pick her up? When did you become this guy and how long do you think you're going to live like this? It's too short, sir. It's just too short for you to be so sour. The Bible commands you to live happily and enjoy your wife. Sir, what is wrong with you? Snap out of it. Get over yourself. you got to love this woman. She's your best friend. Stop treating her like an enemy. You're not going to live forever with her. You'll put her in the ground one day and go home by yourself. Do you understand this, sir? Ma'am, what is wrong with you? You married this man because of the way you could talk and the fun you had together. When did you become this woman who only uses her words to tear this man apart? 
When did you become this woman who follows him around and tells him everything he does wrong? When did you become this woman? When did you become the woman who runs to the bed early and acts like she's asleep and hopes he'll keep his hands off of you? When did you become this woman? Do you understand life's too short? It's just too short to spend another day like this. The Bible says live happily. It's actually not that difficult. It's not that difficult if you'll try to love like Christ and if you'll try to love like Christ, if you'll seek holiness together, if you'll seek Christ with your whole hearts, you can be friends. You can live your life with your best friend. Isn't that what you wanted to do in the first place? When did you give up on that? When did you give up on on his continuing to be your best friend. When did you give up on that, ma'am? Mister, when did you give up on the idea that you could still share your heart with her and have fun with her? It's a commandment. Go ahead. Eat food and, and, and drink and, and enjoy your spouse. It's what God wants for you. That's right, easy for you, Brother Tim. You don't know my wife. I don't know your wife. I don't. But I know mine. And I know what I'm like. I know marriage is really hard. Casey and I know marriage is really hard. There are times when it is just so hard. You look at a verse that says, be happy, and you think, how in the world could we be happy? How would we ever know happiness again? I mean, it's, it's just hard. But what you have to understand is that life is short, and those troubled times, they're short too. It doesn't last forever. The, the trouble you're going through right now, it, it just doesn't last forever. There was a recent study done with marriages, and they took marriages. They took couples who said that they were very dissatisfied with their marriage. They took miserable couples, and they followed them for five years. And they found that couples who five years ago said, we're miserable, we're at the end of this, we don't know if we can stay together. Those couples five years later who stayed together described their marriage five years later as very satisfying. And the thing is, in those five years, there wasn't anything magic that happened. These aren't couples that went on medication. These aren't couples who started going to counseling, although I encourage medication and counseling some of you might ought to get in the car now and drive as fast as you can to a counselor. I'm with you, baby. But, but I'm saying these are couples that didn't do anything other than just stay together. They stayed together, and five years later, they said, we're very satisfied. I mean, sometimes the magic of the whole thing is what it all boils down to. It's just called commitment. You, you just stay together, and it's hard. It's, it's, it's really hard. Because life changes. There are times when you're shoulder to shoulder and you get very used to that relationship. Casey and I are making this transition right now. Right now. We've spent 18 years raising our son. And that was fun, wasn't it? Man, this kid is awesome. He's a barrel of fun. He's been the most fun we've had in 18 years. And then we took him to college. And we looked at each other. And we looked at the dog. And we just busted out crying. I mean, for days, didn't we, baby? I mean, it's just like, 
oh my goodness, it's back to us. We used to be fun, but I'm not sure anymore. I'm not sure. And we sat down at that table, and there's always been three, and now there's two. And I look at her across that table and think, oh my goodness, I don't even want to eat. I don't even know if I can eat anymore. And we go to bed together, but the house is so empty and quiet. And you think, oh my goodness, it's really just us. It's really just us. And then the fear of my heart, and Casey and I have talked a lot about this, the fear of my heart is, are we going to be enough for each other now? I mean, we were happy 18 years ago without kids, but man, that was 18 years ago. What are we going to do now? We used to go to bed early and snuggle, but Casey says she'd rather learn to quilt. I mean, I don't know what we're going to do now. <laughs> I mean, she's already made a quilt, and he's only been gone two weeks. I'm not joking. Pray for us, people. Pray, pray for us. I want to get under that quilt, but... Uh, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's a nice quilt. That's all I'm saying. You understand? We're not we're not 23-year-old kids anymore. And we're not necessarily shoulder to shoulder like that anymore because we've raised our son now and we have our house and 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 thank the Lord built a good ministry and a good life together and now is a time when we really just get to enjoy all that but but in the process of building it you, you know we got to come back and reintroduce ourselves to each other we've got to figure out how to be enough for each other we got to figure out how to have fun together again and honestly we've pretty much forgotten everything that young couples do for fun but we're going to do that nothing easy about it it's, the old saying goes the, the the bend in the road is not the end of the road unless you fail to make the turn you know in, in our marriage right now case now we're making a turn it's hard it's hard there are a lot of couples that get to this point right here this point where, where there's a turn to make and they just decide to part ways you can't do that you, you can't do that. First Ecclesiastes says that, that, that if you attack one person, you can take her down. But if two people fight together, they can conquer. And, and this is what I'm saying. You two need to learn to fight together. I don't mean like that because y'all are doing that fine. I mean, you got to learn to fight not with each other, but fight together. Not, not back to back, but, but, but face to face, coming back together to what really matters between the two of you. And I'm telling you, what matters is friendship. What matters is friendship. You want to enjoy one another and talk to each other, and you know how to do that. You just got to get back to that. You've got to get back to liking each other and not just loving each other. Do you understand? And you can do that, but you have to fight for it. It's not easy. It's as if the entire universe and certainly all of our culture gangs up to tear your marriage apart. And there are going to be very few people in your life who will be cheerleaders for your marriage. The ladies at work will tell you that they wouldn't put up with any of that. You need to just pitch him and go out and find a man to make you happy. Isn't that what the ladies at work tell you? And the men at work would say, well, I wouldn't put up with a woman like that. I'll tell you, I'd put my foot down. I'd say, listen, girl, it's going to be my way or the highway for you. I mean, isn't that how the world talks? 
I'm telling you, you're not going to have a whole lot of people that are going to get in there and tell you to stay together and fight to make it work. But that's what I'm telling you. You stay together and you fight to make this work. You fight. It's going to take a lot of energy, sir. You're probably going to have to turn off the television. You might miss an episode of Law and Order. You'll live. Understand? This takes energy. This takes focus. This takes the Holy Spirit that you better be seeking with your whole heart. Because if you're just seeking happiness with this woman, if you're just seeking happiness with this man, you're never, ever going to find the happiness you crave. Because the happiness you seek is only going to be found in Jesus Christ. You seek him first. You seek the holiness that he wants to create in your life. And you and your spouse, you begin fighting together for what God wants to do in your life. You fight for the friendship. You fight for that friendship. It's a commandment, really. It's a commandment that says, live happily with this woman. Live happily with the woman you love through all the meaningless days of life that God has given you under the sun. The wife God gives you is your reward. Whatever you do, do well. For when you go to the grave, there will be no work or planning or knowledge or wisdom. You're going to be married till death. That means your days are numbered. You only have so many days together. So just understand, this marriage is way too short for anything other than friendship. Be friends. Pray with me. God, I know that I'm reading the scripture into some very heavy hearts, some very unhappy couples who no longer know what it means to be friends. Lord Jesus, I pray today that every couple in the sound of my voice will stop seeking happiness, stop seeking all the things that other people run after, Lord, may they seek holiness. That they might learn to love their spouse, Lord, I pray that they would first seek to love you. Lord Jesus, may couples in this place learn to seek holiness so that they can perhaps find happiness in you. Lord, I pray for the women in this house who continue to gripe and complain and nag and cry. I pray for the women in this house who continue to suffer and continue, Lord, to pray, and especially the ones who come to church Sunday after Sunday without their husbands. Lord, bless them. Help them. I pray for men in this congregation, Lord, the men who continue to try to be faithful with a wife who's not. I pray, Lord, for the men who continue, Lord, to love and forgive and serve. Lord, I pray for the men who are angry and abusive and, and, and mean, self-centered. Lord, I just pray that somehow, sinners that we are, you'll bring us back together, Lord, with our spouses. Teach us how to be friends in Jesus again. 
Lord, I pray for every lonely heart in this congregation. Lord, I pray that they find friendship and companionship in you, but also in the good folks in this church, Lord. Let us all love each other, but let us love you the most. Oh, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.